And I want to know how many of you are like me and you, you like a good bargain? Like you want, you want the best deal. All right. I'm always looking for the best deal. I'll even ask for a deal when no one's, not, not, no, nothing's being offered just in case there's a deal I don't know about. Okay, whenever I get my oil changed, I call Valvoline, the 1-800 number, and I tell them about the Jiffy Lube coupon I found online, and I ask them if they'll match it. And they always do, because I prefer Valvoline over Jiffy Lube. So I always get that coupon. If you went to the football game Friday night at the high school, you got your $5 worth. Uh, overtime win. It was really fun. Dennis and I were there, probably others, but it was a f it, we got our money's worth that day. Well, today, today's a bargain for you. You get two sermons in the time of one. So um, in, in this part of Acts, we don't have to talk about everything because some of it we've talked about multiple times. So we're able to draw out a couple of things that are that I think are important and, and maybe a new topic for us to discuss. And that's what we're going to do today. So it, literally, when we turn the page, it's as if we're starting a new sermon, except they're very related. So I'm going to give you a two-for-one today. You can mark it down. It's, it's, it's valid all day long. So we're going to start with a little review. We're going to go back in the book of Acts. We're going to pull out some things we've already talked about that are relevant for today's discussion. So we're going to start in our notes. So look at your notes. It says God's big picture. We've talked about God doing what God does. We've talked about Paul doing what Paul does. We've talked about how God's worked things out. And I, and I want to kind of hit that theme again, but I want to expand it out a little bit. I want you to see a little bit farther back and a little bit farther ahead. We'll talk about some things mentioned that we haven't even talked about yet. But we're going to go back to Acts chapter 7. This is where we're introduced to Paul. And, and the first time we, we know Paul's around. Now, we think he's been around. I think Paul probably heard or was part of the discussions that the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, when they were conspiring together against Jesus, I think Paul was around. We know he was in Jerusalem. We know he was a Pharisee. It's pretty certain that he was, if not a member of the Sanhedrin, working his way up to that level of leadership. And he was probably in some of these discussions. Now, whether he was watching from the outside or was in the middle of them, we don't know. But he was, he was there even when Jesus was walking on the earth, and they were trying to get rid of Jesus. Now, in chapter 7 of Acts, we're introduced to Paul by name. His name is Saul at this point in time. We're introduced by name, and in your notes it says, Paul listened to Stephen outline from Jewish history and Jewish scriptures that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And if you remember, that's, the, that's like the main thing that the Jewish people were really against. How can this Jesus be the Messiah? He's not doing what we say he should do. He's not following our customs. He's not following our rules. He's telling us we're wrong. He's winning in debates. He's, he's, he's not what we think the Messiah should be like. But Stephen gives this speech to the synagogue leaders and to the Sanhedrin, and he explains from the scriptures they embrace, the Old Testament, who Jesus was, and Paul listened to that. And I think this was maybe one of the seeds, maybe the first seed, maybe the first thing that, that sunk in, but Stephen gave a great sermon that day, and, and Paul was there to hear it. Right after the sermon, or actually before it was, was done, number two in your notes, the, the, the end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8, we know that Paul watched 
Paul watched the Holy Spirit allow Stephen to die with dignity, peace, hope, and forgiveness in his heart as the Jews stoned him. We know that he watched because he held their coats. He guarded their coats. Now, for whatever reason, the Jewish custom, it's going to come up later today, so I'll tell you now, when, when they were angry enough to stone someone, they would take off their cloaks, their coats, as we would call them, and they would set them down somewhere, and they would pick up rocks, and they would stone somebody. It was just part of the process. Not sure why. It's just kind of what they did. And, and Paul watched this happen. Now, what Paul also got to watch was Stephen never responding angrily, not lashing out verbally. Matter of fact, he said, I, I see the Son of God standing in heaven. And then as they're stoning him, right before he dies, he says, forgive them for they, know, they don't know what they're doing. So Paul heard Stephen preach, and then he saw Stephen live out what he was preaching. So Stephen's testimony is part of this process, this big picture that God is laying out here. In Acts chapter 9, just a couple of chapters later, we have Paul on his way to Damascus. He has been arresting and killing Christians. It, uh, this is the long and the short of it. He arrests them and then kills them because he can do this legally without getting in trouble. He has papers from the Sanhedrin. He arrests them. They question them when they say what they don't want to hear, then they, they're killing them. And this is what he's been doing. And he's on his way to Damascus to continue doing this. He's going to go find Christians there, arrest them, haul them back to Jerusalem. They'll go through the same process, and they'll be executed. But on the way to Damascus, back to your notes, Paul is miraculously saved. You should remember the story. Bright light knocks him off his horse or, or to the ground, and, and, and then Jesus speaks to him. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Paul says, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus. And then, and then Paul says, what do you want me to do? Probably hoping it's not die, right? What do you want me to do? And, then, and Jesus says, I'm gonna, you're going to go on to Damascus. I'm going to tell you after you're there for a couple days. And we go on from there. So Paul is miraculously saved in a way that's very unique. And then he's miraculously called into ministry. He's called. After being in Damascus a few days, uh, a fellow comes over, heals his blindness, and then speaks from God and says, you're going to be going to the Gentiles, you're going to be preaching the gospel. And then Paul immediately begins preaching Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, the person actually says, now what are you waiting for? Get on it. And Paul got on it. He started doing these things. So this is three things that happened, three events in, in Paul's life, all connected together. And I want you to see what, what we know about Paul right now. So in your notes, we know Paul was a Roman citizen. Now, we don't know it from those passages. We know it from last week and this week. We know Paul's a Roman citizen. In Jerusalem, growing up, being a Roman citizen was probably not an advantage. Now, his earlier years in Tarsus that would have been an advantage, but in Jerusalem, that would have been a disadvantage. So he probably didn't talk about that a lot. But last week and, and this week, he's going he's gonna to mention that he's a Roman citizen because it's going to be valuable to him. But as a Roman citizen, Paul had status because you had certain rights that no one else had. You had certain privileges no one else had. And, and you had certain protections no one else had. So he had status and he had wisdom. Wisdom in how the Roman world works, 
how the Gentile mind works, he had information that the Jewish people who always lived in Jerusalem and never ventured out wouldn't have. And this information would be valuable later on. Next thing, Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, like I said, we don't know if he was a voting member or, or more like an apprentice or just a, a part of the group, but he was in the group of Pharisees in the Sanhedrin, and he would have been all over the discussions about Jesus and about Stephen and about all kinds of things going on. And that also gave him status. Simply by being identified as a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, that would have granted him or gained him respect among the people and authority among the people. So they would have seen him as someone they should listen to. And it gave him wisdom into the Jewish mind. How the Jewish person thinks, how Judaism works, his own heritage, how it comes into play. So he has a, a, a Roman citizenship and he has a Jewish citizenship, both giving him insights that will be important later on. Now Paul wasn't just any old Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee educated at the feet of Gamaliel, and that gave him more respectability and more authority. Gamaliel, you'll see his name pop up in scripture every once in a while. He was the leading authority on the conservative side of Judaism, the Pharisees. He was a leading teacher. So Paul didn't just study under a rabbi, he studied under the rabbi. And if Paul ever said, was in an argument or a debate, and he said, hey, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, a bunch of people in the room would have been, oh, well, you're obviously correct then. Because if you sat under this teacher, you got the right teaching, and so we can trust you because of who you sat under. So he was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, if you will. All right? And then Galatians 1 tells us something that happened probably around, around Acts 9 to 13, somewhere in there, that Acts never tells us about. Galatians 1 tells us that Paul received revelation or, or teaching directly from Jesus during this time frame. So in, in this time, right, right around now, giving him apostolic status, which gave him authority in the Christian world, okay? And, and it gave him a calling and some teaching. So we don't know when this happened. We don't know how this happened. But Paul very clearly in, in the opening lines of Galatians 1 says, I did not receive my instructions from man. I did not learn the gospel from men. I learned it directly from Jesus. Which means that at some point in time, he sat at Jesus' feet. And there's a lot of speculation about when that happened, what it looked like. We don't know when it happened or what it looked like for sure, but Paul says it happened. And that, that gives a lot of explanation to how he was an authority and how he, he developed New Testament doctrines and that kind of stuff. So we have Paul who not only heard Stephen, but watched Stephen live out his faith. Paul then is miraculously saved on the road while he's basically being a, a terrorist against Christians. He has his Roman citizenship. He has the status of a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. And then he's taught by Jesus himself. And then number four, last thing in God's big picture from Acts 13 to 20, the, the large section we pretty much have just finished. Paul preached, lectured, lectured, debated, reasoned, and defended Christianity with both Jews and Gentiles 
friend and enemy for 25 to 30 years. So he has his younger training, probably age about 1 to 12, living in Tarsus, a Roman city, with Roman citizenship, living among the Romans. At probably 13, he was sent, without his family, probably sent to Jerusalem, and he sat under the feet of Gamaliel for a good number of years. All right? Then he's, he witnesses Stephen, his sermon and his, his uh, martyrdom. He's miraculously saved on the road. He is taught by Jesus, and now for 25 to 30 years, he practices what he's been learning. He's developing his craft, if you will, developing his trade, learning the language of discipleship, the language of the gospel, learning how to communicate with anyone that's there. And that's where we kind of, the, the part of the story we're at, and, and, and I'm going to move ahead because we all know that Paul ends up writing letters that become books of the Bible to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, to the Galatians, to, to, um, to, to, to some people, Timothy and Titus and Philemon. And, and these books become part of the Bible. And what I want you to start realizing is that from the very beginning, God chose Paul and his special features, Roman citizen, Pharisee, to be the apostle to both the Greeks and the Jews, mainly to the, to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. And God set him up all along the way. So he, he, he had the, the Bible background from the Pharisees. He had the cultural background from both the Jews and the, the Romans. He had a miraculous salvation, never to be questioned, never to be doubted. Sat down at the feet of Jesus to be trained you know, in his graduate degree, if you will. Practiced for 25 to 30 years after that. And then, strangely enough, as we've just read, he's been arrested. And, and if you know the rest of the book of Acts, he's never really not arrested again. He's always in the custody of somebody. May, maybe out just for a brief moment in time, but he's pretty much uh, a captive under someone's authority for the rest of his life. And that's where he writes almost all of these letters. That's where he writes these things down. And being in custody did things for him. All right? Let's, let's look at the bottom half of that front page, the notes there. Paul's citizenship kept him safe from the Jews and gave him time to write his letters. As a citizen, he had the protection of the Romans. As a Roman citizen, even in jail, he had rights, and the Jews couldn't get to him. So all the Jews that had been trying to kill him for 15 to 20 years, who got him arrested thinking, finally, we're going to rid ourselves of Paul actually put Paul exactly where God wanted him to be so that he would be protected from them and have all the time in the world, because he wasn't going anywhere, to write the letters. To write the letters. Number two, Paul's Roman world experience gave him insight as to how he could speak to and convert Gentiles to Christianity. Okay, and, and a lot of these letters were written to Gentile churches. Number three, Paul's credentials in Judaism gave him vast biblical knowledge, opportunity, and insight in how to speak to and convert Jews to Christianity. Number four, Paul's revelation from Jesus, on top of his previous training, gave him wisdom, knowledge, and authority to teach Christianity from the Old Testament, and then to develop the New Testament doctrines. 
And number five, Paul's arrest and unintended protection from the Romans gave Paul time and motivation to write letters to various churches and, and people outlining how the Christianity should impact their daily lives and produce spiritual fruits. What's the motivation? I'm not going anywhere, but I still have things to say. How do I communicate to people many miles away when I'm stuck under Roman guard? I will write them letters. There's his motivation. God provided him all the training he could possibly need. Then he gave him all the time he could want. And he gave him the motivation to continue his ministry. And we have the majority of the New Testament because of these things. What's the big picture? What's God's big picture? Well, way back when, when Stephen was preaching, God was preparing Saul. Maybe even before then, while Jesus was interacting with, with the Sanhedrin, God was preparing Saul to become Paul. And Paul eventually got to this place where he wrote the books that, that we study. So God, God, was, God was not unaware at any point in time, but he took a 30-year process to get Paul where he needed him to be. And have no doubt whatsoever that at the very first mention of Saul in Scripture, God was already moving him to become the Paul who wrote these books of the Bible. God has a big picture, okay? I want to mention that even though we don't have any record of any of the other apostles in Scripture, what they did, where they went, mostly. We don't have any long-term records. I think we can be quite sure that God was doing similar things with them, moving them exactly where he wanted them to be to reach the exact group of people he had prepared for them to reach and, and gaining footholds and teaching people and starting churches. I'm, I'm confident that happened. What I want you to walk away from is that God also has a long-term plan for your life. God is not sitting up in heaven going, all right, I got 30 people today I need to do something with. What can, what can I do with Val today? All right, I'm going to talk. Okay, this will work. This will take two days, but we'll get this done. And what can I do with Larry today? And, and how am I going to make this work? And oh, oh, I forgot. The women are going to start their Bible study. I need to do something with charity to get her ready. No. God, God is taking the things we don't notice of today and yesterday, the things we thought were insignificant today and yesterday, and he's using those things to prepare us for these things, which in conjunction with the previous things prepare us for these things, which in conjunction with all of these prepare us for this, and, and we don't know what that is yet. And God is using way over here in our life to move us to this point in our life because he has something for us to do here that we're not able or ready to do now. And God just doesn't wave his magic wand and say, okay, now you're ready. He grows you, and he matures you, and he teaches you, and he raises you up, and he gives you experience, and he gives you your jobs, and as you're faithful, eventually he gets you where he wants you to be. Paul is just a human. We've talked about that. He did some dumb things every once in a while, as do we. We need to relate to Paul as a human being that God used because when he was in the Sanhedrin standing in the back watching, or when he was in a little huddle trying to come up with how we're going to get Jesus this time, 
no one in the room was going, watch out for Paul. He's going to be an apostle one day. Paul wasn't going, I'm going to make my name by writing the New Testament. If anything, Paul was like, if I can, if I can kill all the Christians, I'll be in charge one day. That, that may have been his motivation. That would have been closer. So Paul was just an average guy, and then God did some extraordinary things with him. And that's exactly what God's going to do with you. By the way, that's why I encourage all the men to go to Men's Roundup, and all the women to go to Women's Camp, and to go to the Cannon Beach Conference whenever possible. Participate in the one-day retreat that's coming up. To be at foundations when that starts. To, to volunteer in Awanas. To, to volunteer in other ministries. To be in the Bible studies. To be in the small groups. Because that's where some of this stuff takes place. Not, not just on Sunday morning. Probably more so than on Sunday morning. And that's, that's really sermon number one. Not anything new, but just, just showing you one more time that in Paul's life, God has been in charge the entire time. And he has been preparing Paul for what he's going to do. Now, related to that, not separate, sort of separate, but definitely related, we come to Acts 22. And I want to read this to you. I want to read Acts 22, and then we're going to discuss what it says here. So if you remember in Acts 21, Paul's been arrested. Nobody knows why he's been arrested. The, the Romans have basically taken him into custody because he must have done something really bad. The guy in charge, that I said, he said, I bet you're the Egyptian who's been uh, rebelling, and so I'm going to get you. They put him in chains. They, they bound him up. They had to carry him away from the Jewish mob because they were getting so violent. And then Paul says, hey, may I speak to you? May I say something to you? And the guy's like, oh, man, you're not, you're not Egyptian. You're speaking to me in Greek. And he says, yeah, I'm not an Egyptian. Uh, I, I'm actually a Jew. May I speak to the crowd? And, and this is what happens, chapter 22. Paul says to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Th then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Brought up meaning this is where I was trained. That's why we think when he was about 13, he probably came to the school of Gamaliel. Okay, that, that would have fit with their culture. If he was going to become a Pharisee, that's when it would have happened. But I grew up in this city, Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today, meaning I was ready to do anything, absolutely anything I needed to do to defend my God, I'm ready to do. Anything he asked me to do in service, I'm ready to do it. I was just as zealous. Matter of fact, number four, how zealous was I? I persecuted the followers of this way, or Christians, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. In other words, you guys have your own witnesses that can validate this. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking. 
What shall I do, Lord? I ask, again, probably hoping the answer wasn't die, right? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. I have a plan for you. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. So he led them to this point. Now he had to be led by the hand. Verse 12. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, that's Jesus, and to hear words from his mouth. Now, I want to stop there because I, I want to just tell you something. You, you instantly think this is referring to his encounter on the road to Damascus. That's what you'd think. That's, that's what the context would lead you to believe. But then when you add Galatians 1 into the context, maybe this is talking about in the future. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. It could actually be both. Verse 15. You will be his witness to all people of what, has, of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me, as was said in verse 14. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went out, went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. He's saying, no, they, they'll, they'll know I'm different. They knew who I was. They can see who I am. They'll know I'm different. He's kind of arguing with God here. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Okay, verse 22. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Now I want you to notice. When he talked about himself being a Pharisee and persecuting the Christians, they were okay with that. They were willing to listen. When he talked about meeting Jesus on the road, seeing the bright light, hearing the voice of Jesus, having this conversation with Jesus, acknowledging him as God, they were okay with that. They, they, they didn't storm the stage at that point in time. When he said, get up and go to Damascus where you're going to be healed, and then he talked about being healed in Damascus, and then when Jesus said, you need to leave Jerusalem because the people will not accept your testimony, they didn't have a problem with that. Nobody got excited. Nobody had a problem. So they're, they're tracking with them. They're like, this is a good story. This is really intriguing. I wonder where it's going to go from here. They were totally in tune with it. Then he said, God told me he's going to send me far away to the Gentiles. Then they had a problem. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. This is their cultural sin of, of thinking they're superior to any other race of people. 
they could not accept that their God would reach out to the Gentiles because that was not, not in their frame of thinking. This was their cultural sin that they had learned to accept and even approve of. Verse 23, as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. What, what's going on? They, they take all their coats off and they start throwing dust in the air. What's that? That's a weird deal, right? Well, here's, here's what people think is going on here. And it, it makes a lot of sense. The natural response to this level of disagreement would have been to stone someone. They thought Paul was so far out of line with, with God that it was their duty to stone him. But they happened to be standing in the temple court. And what's not in the temple court? Stones. There's no stones to throw. So they are symbolically stoning him. Took their coats off, reaching down to the ground, grabbing whatever they can and throwing it. And so they are flinging dust in the air. They're symbolically stoning him. They're saying, this is what we would do if we could. The commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. This guy is consistent. He has wanted to know what the deal is from the very beginning. Who is this guy? He must be a terrorist. No, he's not the terrorist from Egypt. What did he do? These people are so mad. He must have done something. And, and, and he's, that's why he let Paul give his speech. That's why he let him talk. He's, I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to find out what's going on. Then I can arrest him for the right thing. Now, this didn't work out. So now he says, we're going to have to flog him. This means I'm going to torture him until he tells me what I want to know. Okay? As they stretched him out to flog him, and by the way, this is the scourging type of a flog. This is what Jesus endured. This is the cat of nine tails. Okay? It's torture. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Very calmly, is, is it legal? What he's really saying is, you know you're going to get in a lot of trouble if you do this, right? Because if a, if a Roman citizen was flogged and it was inappropriate, the person who did it would be instantly executed. That's how severe this was. That's how valuable the citizenship was. So he just throws out there, I'm not sure you want to do this. Verse 26, when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. They didn't want to mess with this. They, they walked away. The commander himself was alarmed because he would also be in the group of responsible people that would be executed. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. He could get in trouble for putting chains on him. So this is a, a dire situation. The Romans are all upset now because now they're in a position to be punished. Verse 30 the commander wanted to find out exactly what Paul was being accused of by the Jews. He is still trying to find out what's going on. He is consistent, if not anything. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had them stand before him. So basically he finds out he's a citizen. 
He, he says, oh, I'm sorry, sir. Can I get you anything, sir? Would you like some water? Would you like a seat? I didn't know. I apologize about the chains. Uh, this is really bad. We're going to let you go, by the way, but have something to eat. Have a nice meal. This is the kind of conversation that took place. And then the centurion, still trying to figure out if he should arrest Paul and get him into a real trial, says that my last chance is to let the Jewish people interrogate him. So he says, in the morning... I want all the Jewish leadership to get together and I'm going to bring this guy over and then I'm going to listen to you guys argue it out. Then I'll know whether I should arrest him or not. And that's where, that's where we stop. Okay? That's where we stop. We'll pick up chapter 23 next week. But what can we learn from this? Well, two things stood out to me. One was that God was preparing Paul for some really big stuff and it was right before our eyes and we shouldn't miss that. That was sermon number one. Sermon number two... We have Paul's testimony. We, this is the first time we have Paul's testimony, as he tells it, laid out very clearly. And I want to run through this really quick. I want to run through it because it's a good outline for your testimony. All right, you should be able to share your testimony. Someone walks up and says, hey, I saw you in front of the church. I drove by. We were fishing. You were coming out of the church. Are you one of those Bible thumpers? Or are you a Christian? Do you belong to that church? Yeah, I belong to that church. Yeah, I read my Bible. Well, uh, what makes you special? You should be able to share your testimony. A friend says, I've been watching you. Your life is different than everyone else's. What makes you different? You should be able to share your testimony. After you share the gospel, someone says, well, have you done this? Yes, I have. Let me share my testimony. You should have a salvation testimony, and your testimony should follow this outline to some degree. Number one, life before Christ. Paul outlines his life before Christ. He says, I am a Jew. I was raised in Jerusalem. It's not in your notes, but he was also spent some time in a, in a Roman city. But I'm a Jew. I was raised in Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel, fully trained in the law. I was zealous. How zealous was I? I persecuted Christians with the authority of the Sanhedrin. So I was a Jew. I was raised in Jerusalem. I sat under the best teacher. I was fully trained in the law. I was zealous to the point of persecuting Christians. Why did he mention these things when there would be so many other things to share? Because it established that before conversion, he was just like them. What were they? They were Jews living in Jerusalem, at least somewhat trained in the law, and they were zealous, and they were trying to kill a Christian. He stood right in front of him. He said, you know what? I was just like you. There was a day when I would not only be with you, I would be leading you. And I would hold your garments so they wouldn't even get dirty while you stoned me, this fellow. He basically says, I was so good and so religious, I had no need for Jesus. Which is exactly where they were. They knew who Jesus was, but they had no need for him. That was his life before Christ. That's the part that was relevant to the situation, so he shared it. Number two, we have Paul's conversion. Jesus Christ himself confronted me while I was persecuting him. Jesus Christ confronted me. Okay, and then B, Jesus Christ himself called me to be an evangelist. I was saved on the road to Damascus. A bright light came, knocked me down. I was blinded, but I could hear a voice that no one else heard. I had a conversation with Jesus, the one we killed that was resurrected, and he said he was God, and I believed him, and everything changed right then and there. 
He told them what they needed to realize. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus could change their life. He said, this happened to me. It can happen to you. He called me into ministry. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I used to be just like you. Now I'm like this because of this event. Life before Christ, conversion, then number three, life after salvation. Jesus Christ himself told Paul to leave Jerusalem and tell everyone, including Gentiles, about about Jesus the Messiah. That answers the question, where have you been? Why were you gone so long? What have you been doing? You you were a Pharisee. You, you, You were trained under Gamaliel. You were zealous. Yeah, this happened. Where have you been? He didn't actually get to be. In your notes, B never, never was spoken, but we can fill in that gap. This probably would have been next. And I did just that for the next 25 to 30 years. I did just that. I, I went and I shared the gospel with Jews and Gentiles. So this is Paul's testimony. When, when he had a chance to share with the crowd who he was, this was his testimony. When we have a chance to share our faith, you should be prepared to share your testimony, and if God swings that door open, you should walk through it. And it doesn't have to be long and complicated and drawn out. You don't have to to cross-reference scriptures to your testimony. Your testimony is, I was a sinner, because that's how we all relate before Christ. I was a sinner. You might say, I wasn't that much of a sinner, but my sin was still sending me to hell. Or you might say, I was a really good sinner, And I earned my place in hell more than most. It doesn't really matter which you were. The common ground is that you were a sinner. You can say, I was a sinner. And then I heard about Jesus. I heard it from my friend. I heard it from my mom. I heard it from the pastor. I accidentally went to church. Somebody tricked me into going to church, and they preached the gospel. I went to this breakfast thing where there's supposed to be some really good food, and all of a sudden, in the middle of breakfast, they started talking about God, and I was trapped. I had to listen. I went on a car ride with a friend, and the friend said, hey, I've been praying for you. That was new. I said, why have you been praying for me? Because I want you to be saved. And then I heard the gospel, and then I get saved. So many different stories could be the conversion story. I was raised in church. I, I went to church my whole life, and nobody ever told me I needed a relationship with God. Until I went to this church. That is an actual testimony that I've heard recently. And then when I knew I needed a relationship with God, everything made sense and I got saved. What, what is your conversion story? How did it take place? I was in this dilemma. I, w- I was needing God because of this. All kinds of situations that can be your conversion story. And you simply tell the truth. And then life after conversion. What happened to me afterwards? What changed my life? How has my life changed? How do I think differently? How do I act differently? Uh, what motivates me now that didn't before? Why, why is serving God so important to me? That's your, that's your testimony. My life before Christ, my conversion, my life after Christ. And that's, that's what people can relate to. So if nothing else, I want you to see that your testimony is important, just like Paul's testimony was important. It may cause someone to ask more questions it may cause someone to walk away the crowd here before paul could finish his testimony when he got to the part about the gentiles they in your notes their reaction was outrage they were they were outraged stimulated by their extreme prejudice and racial supremacy one of israel's greatest sins 
which Satan used to blind many of them from the truth. It was a culturally approved sin, racism at its best. It, it, I don't know what the initials would have been, but they had their own Jewish version of the KKK. And they believed they were superior to everyone else, and everyone else was inferior, and that's why God chose them. That was their cultural take on, on all racial interaction. And so their response based on that was outrage. And, you know, I just threw in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 there because it says that Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving so they cannot see the truth. And Satan uses cultural things, social things, things that maybe don't seem so bad, and he uses them to keep people from the truth. And we should be aware of that. We should be aware of that. The Roman response was, we need to get the truth out of Paul, so we're going to torture him. Then when they found out he was a Roman citizen, they released Paul, but they're bringing him back to the Jewish court, and that's where we'll pick up the story next week or the week after. A couple things to take home with you really quickly. Number one, God's will is being woven over time, through time, with no detail being overlooked, and with no gap in his planning. God's going to use every part of your past, the good parts and the bad parts. He's going to use every trial that you live through, every temptation you overcome. He's probably, he's even going to use the ones you fail at. God's going to use every part of your life to further his will and accomplish his goals. That's going to happen. The best thing we can do is get on board, to, to run with it, to get excited about it, to say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm willing to be a part of it. I don't know why I'm sick. I don't know why my friend's not happy with me. I don't know why I lost my job. I don't know why my car broke down. I don't know why you're giving me this opportunity that seems too good to be true. I don't know why you, give, you, you sent me a check in the mail. I don't know the bad stuff. I don't know the good stuff. I don't know why, but I trust you that you have a plan, and I'm going to listen to you as we move forward. Because God has a long-term plan that is going to take place that he is going to see happen and he's going to use all kinds of stuff to get there because God is sovereign, right? Number two, your testimony is yours and yours alone. You came to Christ in a unique way. Part of your testimony may sound like someone else's. Even if you got saved sitting right next to someone else in the same pew or at the same camp or at the same retreat, your testimony is different. Your testimony is yours. God has worked in your life differently. It's yours and yours alone. Your testimony, if you understand it, will honor God and will bring glory to him. It's not there to glorify you. It's not there to make you look good, bad, or indifferent. It's not there to gain you any opportunity. It's there to honor and glorify God, and it should be shared whenever an opportunity is provided. It should be shared. You should share your testimony. If someone asks you a question point blank and you go, oh, I think I'm supposed to share my testimony then yes, you're supposed to share your testimony. If a door opens up and you go, I could share my testimony right now, I'm not sure. The answer is yes. You're supposed to share your testimony. Talk about who God is in your life. It may not fit this exact outline, but your testimony is yours and you need to share it. And number three, even if you don't get to finish, finish your testimony, because Paul did not get to finish his testimony. You remember Stephen did not get to finish his testimony. Even if you don't get to finish your testimony, even if it seems like it makes things worse, Stephen was stoned, Paul is arrested still, and then they're going to go torture him, okay? 
even if it seems like it's making things worse, don't hesitate to share it. Because God will use it. God will either use it now, later, or both to accomplish his work and his will. He'll either use it now, later, or both. Romans 8.28, that's mentioned up at number one, it, it says that in all things God works. In all things God works. He's going to work in your life, and he's going to use your testimony. So, sermon number one, God has always been in charge. He will always be in charge. He's got the map laid out. You just need to follow along. Okay, trust God. Sermon number two, speak of what God has done in your life. It is not a secret to be kept. It's a blessing to be shared. And when the door opens, don't hesitate. Even if you share it three or four times and it doesn't seem to be working out, remember, it's your testimony. It's what God did in your life, and God has asked you to share it. He's asked you to be an ambassador. He's asked you to be a bright light. So God is working in your life, and God wants you to share what he's doing. All right? I hope that sinks in somewhere. I hope it makes a difference. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us look into what you're doing in, around, and through Paul. And also look at Paul's response and, and have this great example of, of what a testimony outline is going to look like. Help us this week to consider what our testimony should sound like, how we might say it in a, in a two-minute opportunity or a ten-minute opportunity or a 30-minute opportunity, how we need to convey it so that you receive honor and glory and that it points to a relationship with you. Help us to think about these things, and when that door opens, even if it's just a crack, help us to, to walk through and to trust you for the outcome. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.